0: In the not-so-distant old days, it seemed like we held elections later that night, maybe really early the next morning, we'd have a concession and a victory speech. Sometimes it would stretch into the next day, maybe next couple of days. But nowadays, it seems like more and more races are ending up in court and results are taking weeks. I wanted to get an idea of if that's true, and if so, why, so I reached out to Temple Law professor Craig Green. No surprise, we started by talking about all the things that have not only caused elections to become more controversial, But more importantly, have started bringing their credibility into question.
1: I mean, there is an aspect Americans have fought about elections in the past. You had Bush v. Gore farther back. But uh, I think there are at least three things uh, nowadays that are coming into play all at once. And two of them I think everybody kind of knows about. And one of them I don't think people think about. Everybody knows that politics run really hot right now. There's a lot of politics in elections. People are fighting very hard about politics around the dinner table, and they fight very uh, hard about it in the ballot boxes, and there are a lot of close elections. People go to court over close elections. They don't go to court over elections, one by 10 points or whatever. So there are really hot politics in elections, and everybody feels it, and I think that drives some of the litigation as it drives the protests, as it drives all kinds of other things you see in society nowadays. The second thing that's happening is you see politics about elections. And so basic ideas about election integrity are threatened and challenged in ways they haven't been for like 50 years. You know, back in the 60s, there were challenges about uh, people buying votes and shoveling votes. But all that stuff really washed out a little bit after Watergate and the Nixon era. People most of the time, for for several decades, mostly trusted most of what election officials did and how elections were run, mostly they did, even when maybe they shouldn't have, but they did. and that was a good backstop for some of the political controversy happen in elections. But then once the election was over, you didn't have tons of more politics about the election. you know even the big example, which is Bush v Gore decided by just a few hundred votes out of a national presidential election, could hardly get wilder than that. But still, even then, once those decisions were made, you know, Al Gore sort of saluted the White House and walked his way off stage, you know, to make a movie or something. And so e- even there, there was a real acceptance of the system that I think there isn't now. You know, of course, I'm here in Philadelphia. You know, we had very, very high reputation election officials uh, being yelled at and screamed at and called all kinds of names. You just didn't see that in the past. And so you have this really hot sort of stew or cauldron of politics and then actually the whole system for processing it is also getting hot and people are fighting about it. And people are making uh, challenges and allegations like they didn't make in the past. And then the third thing, which I think a lot of people don't know about, is um, something happening in the law. So with especially the new conservative Trump-appointed justices on the U.S. Supreme Court and all the way down... There's a real challenge in people's thinking about the legitimacy of law and what you can expect out of the legal system and whether things that people have taken for granted should be taken for granted anymore. And there's been a real, real shift and a challenge, uncertainty, a risk associated with legal transformation like we haven't seen in 100 years. And what that means is if you're a litigant, you might take your chances on some kind of aggressive argument that you might have just let lie in the past because nobody's quite sure exactly what are the courts going to do. And so I think this turns into sort of a gambler situation a little bit more than usual uh, with all the standard sort of posturing and this sort of stuff. And I think the combination of a change in the courts, a change in the way Americans think about the election system, and then what everybody knows, this really hot moment in American politics, it's a, it's a perfect storm and it's pretty bad.
0: The main issue right now that we're looking at is the the undated ballot you know you mentioned the the technical flaw where does that kind of rate when when you say you know the the damaging the integrity in election procedures where does throwing out a ballot because there's no date on it uh and and arguing over that in court wh- where are you going to put that on is that kind of uh you know is is it a foundational issue is it just another you know just pulling threads or you know is this just kind of a something that that needs to be Kind of litigated to figure it out.
1: Yeah, there's some particulars and some generals with this Oz McCormick litigation. It's about the undated electors have failed to fill out the ballot, the date on their on their envelope, and it doesn't mean it came in late. Not a single one of those ballots came in late. It's just a matter of they didn't actually have, just like they almost wrote with the wrong ink, or they got the wrong year, or what. Like some people just didn't put it in. They said to put it in, but it didn't put it in. And so on the particulars, you know, especially as the facts are unfolding you know, it really seems like this litigation is not going to matter because on any plausible assessment of the split of the remaining 800 or so ballots that are in this category with no date on them, you know, they're not going to be enough to swing the election. It doesn't look like they are. So in a certain sense, this litigation, like, Who cares? Dr. Oz won a really close election. We have had other elections, including Bush v. Gore, that have been decided by less. You know, there there are close elections, and then they that's how it goes. You win a close election, and then you're the, in this case, you're the Republican Senate candidate. But this litigation is so important and so hot because lawyers are trying out their arguments for other elections where things might be even closer or where there might be more mud or more fog. Around the results, they're trying out these arguments to sort of keep them in the new, keep them in the public idea, keep the idea that people can fight about election procedures and not about just results. And you can bring in courts, and you can bring in lawyers, and you can give press conferences, and you can uh, tweet about it, and all the rest of it. And I think this is the sense in which this Oz uh, McCormick litigation is part of a much bigger pattern uh, that we have seen now for several years. You know, and again I say you I said Al Gore just walked away from an election he lost by several hundred votes. Of course, we haven't mentioned her name, but Hillary Clinton did something a little like that too. There are tens of thousands of votes different, but you know, she could have fought, she could have fought here and fought there and fought, but she didn't do that, and that's the way that most American politicians have handled themselves in close elections. So yeah, I think the thing that's distressing about this litigation of the moment is that it's not just of the moment. It connects backward with things in the recent past, and it projects a grim image going forward if, only if, but if a future election is close and maybe close enough to matter. And we all know that's possible um, in American politics today.
0: You touched on a little bit, but when you you brought up Bush v. Gore, it kind of got me thinking, and and then you explained a little more, but you know, did that kind of change our thinking a little bit and remove maybe some of the sportsmanship or the norms around conceding an election and, and instead taking it to court? And you saw Bush come out and say, hey, I won, even though the recount wasn't really. Did anything happen there that, that, that you see as kind of a shift?
1: Yeah, my biography is the same way. I had just gotten out of law school. As it happens, I was clerking for then Judge Merrick Garland at the time in the D.C. Circuit just down the street from the Supreme Court. So I saw it kind of firsthand, made it very hard to get any work done as we chased the latest news on some crate of ballots here or some, you know, a ch- hanging chads over there. So I really did have a personal experience with that. And I remember thinking... That the law and the courts would never be the same. That's what I thought. I thought no one would ever trust the Supreme Court again after that decision. That's what I thought. And uh, one of my professors, uh, he said, yeah, that's not true. And I think he was right and I was wrong. That I think that, you know, people did definitely moderate their thinking about the Supreme Court. And obviously that still looms over our discussion today. But more or less, you know, Al Gore really did the country a service in a very hard-fought election that he could have argued he won, although he didn't win. Uh, and he just left. And what that meant was that everyone could sort of, in a sense, go back to normal. And in the last, you know, sort of uh, last election cycle, you saw the opposite of that. And you saw what happens when a candidate digs his heels in, tries to play all the pol- formidable political muscle that he has to challenge not just sort of the politics of his opponents, but to challenge the integrity of the system that decides who wins. I think that was really the moment that made things uglier rather than Bush v. Gore. On the contrary, although I was so upset about Bush v. Gore at the time and it was so close and whatever else and the Supreme Court behaved so strangely, but like that honestly looks like a sort of a paragon of virtue compared to what we've seen nowadays. You know, you know, I think everybody knows that that uh, Donald Trump's presidency represented a challenge to a lot of establishments, a self-conscious challenge to a lot of establishments, including some things that pass for science or pass for uh, politics or pass for norms or whatever. He had a lot of challenges for those things. So it was very, in a way, on brand. But I think this ripple effect that we're seeing now is, you know, once you really cause a big fraction of the country, bigger than before, to doubt the basic integrity of the elections, it's not clear exactly how easy it is to go somewhere from there. Especially if, again, this is the premise for the whole thing, as long as you have hotly contested elections on the merits. Look, if a candidate comes in, if, you know, if one party or the other comes into the midterm elections, blows everybody away 10, 15 points, or the next presidential elections, instead of 10, 15 points, there's nothing to squabble about and things feel normal again. I think the thing that's scary or can be upsetting is, if we live in this moment of basically 50-50 politics in a lot of different elections across a lot of different parts of the country, if you're facing 50-50 elections, that really puts a strain, a repeated strain, on the basic mechanisms that decide who run various governments in America. And I think without public trust in that, I think it it becomes all the things that we take for granted, have taken for granted in terms of resolving even close elections, even fought elections. Those basic mechanisms really uh, start to look a little bit different.
0: More with Craig Green coming up. This is KYW News Radio in depth. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. I'm Jim Melward. I'm talking with Temple Law Professor Craig Green about election integrity. Something that's specific to Pennsylvania elections is Act 77. That's the law that brought no-excuse mail-in voting to Pennsylvania. It made some other changes to election law, all of which at the time were considered improvements. And overall, the bill was thought to be a win for Republicans. So where does Act 77 factor into all of this?
1: I'm not a super expert on Act 77, but I think Pennsylvania politics do have a couple of extra wrinkles that are worth mentioning. Of course, maybe people know about the the latest litigation is about, you know, Dr. Oz in the Senate primary. And one of the things that happened, one of the fun things about, interesting things about mail-in ballots is that it used to be, as people know, it used to be Republicans were in favor of those things and now they're mostly against them. That coincides with a broader Republican agenda, which you would certainly see in the Oz litigation and and elsewhere. Where Republicans are in various ways trying to to shrink eligibility to vote, and in the name of what they call voter fraud, trying to shrink access to uh, ballots in this kind of a way, and Democrats pushing the other side. So in Pennsylvania, where we also have this very interesting branch divide where the governor is Democrat and the General Assembly is Republican. And so those two branches of government are busy duking it out as sort of one side tries to find various ways to cram down the vote and say things like voter fraud or whatever else. And the other side is really trying to increase access and allow more people to vote, more votes to be counted kind of all the time. And those patterns and tropes and sort of themes, I think, play out in a lot of different areas. Uh, I'm sure uh, that's part of the Act 77, but I also know about it in the federal voting rights Context Also, you have the same sort of thing and a lot of different things about, you know, basically Democrats trying to expand the base and include more voters, even at the risk of possibly new innovative techniques of collecting ballots and the Republicans talking about uh, shrinking into more reliable voter ID laws, uh, this kind of a thing to try to uh, limit. In the name of, like I say, some allegations of uh, voter fraud or integrity or this kind of stuff. But so I think that's one way I'm sure XMG is part of that is But you know, th- there's a struggle over that. And then in Pennsylvania, the other thing we have is, you know, on a county to county basis, which you also see in the current litigation, different counties are different, have very, very different political Bents, which then link them into these bigger discussions. And there are things, you know, even today, the the Secretary of State for Pennsylvania says one thing and the counties say, yeah, we're not so sure about that. And so this is a, in some sense, it's, it's Pennsylvania, it's America, like there are all these different political governmental groups that get to make various kinds of decisions. And they each one of them has a little joint uh, or a little twist. Uh, where somebody can poke at it and say, "Oh yeah, what about those people? What about those people?" And that's what I think we saw in in 2020. What I thought was really the mo- one of the more remarkable things. You had election workers who were just killing themselves trying to deliver a fair and full election, counting ballots in ways that had never been counted before. You know, doing all kinds of stuff in, in, in really by and large the best possible tradition. And they were being uh, sort of torn up and uh, belittled and demeaned and sort of attacked in ways you know that that. That I, I certainly hadn't seen in my lifetime, and that's a, that's a dim prospect when you look forward. You know, we just hope that does not happen again in the midterm elections, the next presidential election. But it's going to depend on a lot of stuff. It's not going to be just sort of one factor, be like, oh, that fixes it. And I think in a way, in a way, all of us Americans have some responsibility for it. You know, there's a sense in which you could drive the wagon to the left or the drive to the right. But I think what we're seeing now is people taking the wheels off the wagon. They're destroying government, deconstructing the administrative state is a, a favorable term and uh, attacks on science or truth or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I think that those things have a place. It's in a diverse uh, community and electorate. But I think there are clear dangers when those kinds of disruptions bleed into the basic election system itself. And I think that's what we're. That's what we're at risk of seeing uh, more normalized, if that makes sense.
0: I find it interesting that you have a third circuit ruling and now the Supreme Court has said, well, hold on, hold on on that. And then you have a Supreme Court, a Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruling that are kind of at odds with each other. And if if you can kind of explain to me how, because you mentioned, you know, you have the, the Department of State and then you have the counties and then you have state courts and then you have federal courts. What's the tradition, ban as far as who kind of oversees elections? When is it a state court issue? When is it a federal court issue?
1: But let, me, let me just give you the shortest version of it. And it is, it's a, there's one really technical point, and then I think a lot of people will find it relatable. Each area of the country has a single Supreme Court justice who, like, presides over emergency motions. And in Pennsylvania, our, our justice, our circuit justice is Samuel Alito. And Justice Alito, who's been in the news some lately, Justice Alito is one of the most active, aggressive conservative justices there has been on the Supreme Court in a 100 years. And that means that when any voting conflict happens in Pennsylvania, if it gets up toward the Supreme Court in any kind of way, the first cut at it is Justice Alito And he is very interested in changing the law in various ways that we could talk about or not. And so I think that he, his influence actually plays a real role in some of the disruptions we see here today. What's happening is the Third Circuit, which is a federal court, made a ruling about the Voting Rights Act, which is a federal statute that talked about the consequences of technical flaws in a ballot. The federal voting law says you make a technical flaw in the ballot, doesn't go to whether you're eligible, doesn't go to whether you're too late, doesn't go to any of those things. Some technical error, it does not disqualify you from voting. That's what the Third Circuit said. That's what the federal statute says. Justice Alito says, I'm not so sure. Justice Alito himself sort of stopped everything, stayed that litigation in the possibility of having a Supreme Court case about it. That's what I mean. That's the federal law moving that's the six to three majority, uh, changing things. Now, you know, j- judges change things, courts change things, but because of the personnel, we're seeing more dramatic changes than at any point, at least since 1937, and maybe much longer than that. So that's like one part of it. And then the other part of it is putting aside the federal statute and the Supreme Court and Justice Alito or whatever. Our state, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, this state is very divided. And so, you know, you have fights about what state law means. And, of course, it's true, there are much more mail-in ballots, many, many more mail-in ballots than ever have been before. And that mechanism has become politically hot. That part of the election system has become a site for really high high stakes gladiator fights you know and so I think that as a matter of state law then you have and of course you know again they had a hearing just this week a very sensible uh, lawyerly hearing but they had lawyers from the governor's office and from the secretaries and from the Republican National Party and from and all these folks come running into this you know Pennsylvania judicial proceeding what's it for what are they doing well part of it is they're fighting about this particular fight of Oz versus is McCormick But they're also trotting out their favorite arguments about increasing access on the Democratic side, trying to expand access to the ballot and try to have more ballots count on the one side. And on the other side, try to use courts as a way to close things down in the name of preventing voter fraud or election fraud or trying to stick with, you know, what the General Assembly has said or some sort of strict construction of the law. And these are this, this litigation becomes not just litigation, but it becomes a political platform for people to go into these bigger, deeper fights about the American election system. And so I think that, you know, it's a, it's a tight election. It's a thousand votes, you know what I mean? So, again, none of this happens if you don't have tight elections. But I think anytime you do see a tight election nowadays, the scripts are pretty well formed to sort of have people really make it into a spectacle and really make it into a circus and really make it into a sort of a, a clickbait or make it into something that really can draw at least regional and in this kind of even national attention around just these standard arguments that people want to keep them warm so they can fight about them you know in the general election they want to keep them warm in case they want to use them up during the next presidential race they want to keep them warm because that's what they feel like their party and their ideology is now more linked in with is it not the politics about in the election but also the politics about the election and the politics of law and the judicial system I think all those three things are sort of weaving together in, from my outsider's perspective, I think a little bit of a destructive way, at least potentially destructive way for American politics, maybe even American society.
0: To kind of wrap up, where do we go from here, do you think?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, so everybody's got folks they like to blame. So some people can blame the politicians, some people can blame the lawyers, some people can blame the judges. Gerrymandering, which we didn't talk much about, but you know, there are various things about the election system that people could have uh, concerns about. But I have to tell you, from my own perspective, I think the solution's America. I think the solution's America. I think if Americans are able to solve some of their political problems, the schisms that people see almost everywhere you look, that's one way it could happen. Now, fine, you say that can't happen. Uh, But another thing that could happen is people could agree on basic election procedures that we can fight about our politics, but we're not going to fight about the basic logistical details of how we run election and who's going to win. Like, we're just going to stop doing that. There was a period when that kind of thing would have thought beneath politics, would have been thought disreputable, would have been thought disqualifying for somebody to do this kind of stuff. And I think that people, people, if they're sick of it, <laughs> they can get sick of it and show it by disfavoring candidates who do this kind of nonsense. And then I think obviously in the end, like this shift in the courts, the shift in the law, it's happening. There's no changing. It's going to happen. It's happening. And so I think over time, we will all get more used to the new status quo. So there are some things that I think rely on America. And I think Americans have to, you know, take some responsibility for what their politicians and their media outlets and their social media pages and their Twitter feeds and all that stuff. You know, we've all got to take a little responsibility for it. And then the other thing is, I think right now we're just in this period of radical transformation in American law. And that's going to happen. And then we're going to know more. And then hopefully things will settle down into some new, Relatively right-wing new sense of normal because I think that's I just think that's absolutely what's going to happen. But right now it all seems so muddy and so foggy and so uncertain. I think that produces more risky behavior on the part of sort of uh, risk-taking lawyers and their clients.
0: And when you say radical transformation in American law, you mean the, the Supreme Court majority shifting do. significantly? That's- yeah, I
1: mean I mean there there hasn't been a six to three majority during my lifetime, and you see it everywhere, and you'll see only more of it this year. Not just the leaked Roe opinion, but there's a guns cases up there. There's going to be affirmative action next year. A six to three conservative majority can take big steps to the right in a way that we haven't seen since 1936. And, you know, I think that that's that's just that's absolutely baked in the cake. That's 100 percent happening. And and so I think that, you know, in a lot of areas, individual rights, uh, the Voting Rights Act has been a huge site of controversy. There are other constitutional principles surrounding election laws are another area where the conservative majority is, is making big changes, contemplating big changes. And, you know, we don't know what those are yet. And we just know they're coming. And so I think that as those things become clearer, hopefully at least the new normal will become at least a little more legible, a little more understandable. and People can make more predictable decisions and we'll have have less sort of freewheeling nonsense, um, which is the risk when people just don't know what the truth is, what the law is, what, what the new majority is going to vote for. But, yeah, it start, it's all about the Supreme Court. And, of course, there are courts of appeals and there are district courts. You know, So there are a lot of unpredictable decisions being made throughout the American legal system right now, especially at the federal level. And those things will – they will settle down because they'll continue to write opinions and decide cases that were unimaginable. But we not only have to imagine them, they're real.
0: Just how far-reaching could the consequences be if people don't believe in the integrity of an election?
1: I just want to make sure and I'm sure it's clear to your listeners, you know, I want to make sure and be clear about what's at stake in damaging the integrity of election procedures because in countries where people stop believing in the integrity of their election procedures, other avenues of political power become more imaginable like violence, protests, uh like all kinds of stuff. And I think that uh, I think that this country's democracy and this country's government rely on people accepting the results of election election results and designing procedures that allow us to accept election results as being true and faithful and and uh, and having integrity and so i think that's just you know in a way what's at stake in this election set of issues really does go that comes from the core of american politics and it also goes to the core of american politics i think there could hardly be anything much more important than having an election system that Enough people can have some degree of trust and faith in.
0: That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Jim Melworth. We'll have another episode out soon.